You're listening to the Northfield Radio Program, where faith, family, and culture all collide with the biblical worldview. There is a war that's raging for the hearts and the minds and the spirits of men and women. And you and I, as Christians, are on the forefront of that battle. The question is, what will you do? To find out more about the Northfield Radio Program and Caleb Gordon, go to www.calebgordon.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Northfield Radio Program. I am so, so, so excited that you're here with me today. Wow, my goodness. Summer is in mid-swing. It's hot out. Swing by Outpost Coffee and pick up an iced coffee. These guys have got incredible beverages that will absolutely just refresh your day. Check them out at outpostcoffeeco.com. In our culture today, marriage is under attack like never before. We see people that are getting divorces on a regular basis. We see people separating. We see people struggling in their marriages. And I honestly believe it's because we do not have a biblical understanding of what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman. And so on this week's show and next week's show, I want to tackle the idea of what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman. Several years ago, I listened to a sermon by a guy named Matt Chandler. He is the lead pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. And the name of the sermon is Sanctification Through Marriage. And Matt unpacks from the Bible what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a two-part series. Part one, Matt is going to unpack what it looks like to be a godly woman. And next week, part two, Matt will unpack what it looks like to be a godly man. So I pray that both of these broadcasts will encourage and challenge your hearts to live for Christ. So sit back and enjoy this message from Matt Chandler. Um, If you think about the words that the scriptures use uh, and that we use as believers in Christ to describe what Jesus did for us on the cross, uh, there's this real interesting pattern that develops. So the scriptures use and we use the the idea of uh, reconciliation or that we are reconciled. And in it, it's this idea that uh, at one time we had relational purity with the Lord and now we don't. And the cross of Christ has reconciled us to God. And if you look at the, the idea of redemption or being redeemed, it was that uh, we've somehow been kidnapped and he has paid the ransom for and he's got us back into standing. So from redeemed to uh, reconciled to on and on we can go. In fact, even the word salvation uh, in 1525 when William Tyndale uh, produced the first Greek New Testament, the word salvation was actually translated to health or a return to health. It was the idea that in Jesus Christ, we were returning to health, that we were sick and now we're not. And so there's this idea um, in the scriptures when it comes to what Jesus did to us on the cross, uh, what he did for us on the cross is that he is returning us um, to how he created the universe to be. And we talked about that at length. Um, and I, I do not have any time at all to recap that. Uh, go grab the podcast or go grab the MP3 off our site. But um, we just talked about the fact that there is no sacred secular divide. That's not how God sees the universe. It's not that church is sacred and economics, business, education, agriculture, all of that is secular. Uh, that is an unbiblical way to see the world. God has put structures in place in all domains of society. Okay. And so direction then becomes, will we line ourselves up with how he designed things to work? Now, 
Uh, when sin entered in the world, it fractured everything, not just our relationship with the Lord, but our relationship with one another. So here's what I want to do. And then I'll explain why in this series I'm doing this. Uh, I want to talk this morning about the relationship between husbands and wives and how in Jesus Christ we get back to Genesis chapter two, which says of the man and woman, they were naked and unashamed. Okay. And, and what that means, don't think naked in regards to physical nakedness, although that's great, but rather think in terms of they have nothing to hide. Okay. So how do we get a man and a woman in the confines of marriage back to the place where they have nothing to hide from one another and they don't walk and are operating in any shame. Okay. So Jesus is going to purchase that for us in his cross And then he's going to lead us that way by giving us commands that we are to obey. And in obedience to those commands, we line ourselves up with how he designed things to work for our joy and his glory. Okay. Now, um, I don't know this year that I will get into a more controversial text than the one I'm about to be in. It flies in the face of almost everything our culture believes and tries to operate in. Okay. So here's what I need you to promise me. Um, I'm fine with you getting offended. Um, I'm fine with you getting angry. What I'm saying is don't turn me off until we're done unpacking it. Don't just hear certain words and go, oh, oh, no, he just give me, give me my 45 to 50 minutes. Let me unpack this thing. And and then if you want to leave and never come back, I, I really am okay with that. Okay. But don't turn me off until we're done here. Because God's appeal to you as wives and God's appeal to you as husbands, it's not about your begrudging submission. It's about your joy. And so what's at stake here is your joy. Um, And so my prayer is that you would be hedonistic enough to listen and hear. Okay? Now, what I'm going to do is read the text and then we'll start to unpack it. You'll see what I mean almost immediately. Three, one. Now, this text starts with likewise. What's happened is he's just gone through what it looks like to submit to authorities in all these different domains. So here's what it looks like in regards to submitting to governmental authorities as believers. Here's what it looks like submitting to coworkers and bosses. Here's what it looks like submitting to authorities in church. Here's what it looks. So he's walking through kind of this idea that there are authorities. Okay. And now look at what he says. Likewise, wives should be subject to your own husbands. I can feel some of you already going, no, you did not. All right. So let's just be patient. Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Verse six, jeez. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. I will unpack that. Breathe. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. So in this text, he's saying 
Let me line you back up. I've given you my grace. So as you stumble about and try to figure this out, you have grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But let me line you up with how I design things to work. Wives do this. Husbands do this. This occurs in several other occasions in the scriptures, uh, namely Ephesians chapter 5. Okay? Um, Let me get to the bottom of this. Um, Because right now, our culture would say um, that there's no way a woman should should be in subject to a man. That, that she is equal to, and she, there is no submission. If anything, it's an equal partnership. If I'm not even smarter than he is and should be calling the shots. All right. So this idea of submission is a wildly unpopular idea, but let's, let me get to the bottom of it this way. The thrust of this text isn't submission or subjection at all. That's a secondary issue. It's an issue, but it's secondary. The, the primary issue in this text concerning the woman is simple. Here's what it is. The command of God on the woman to not put her hope in anything other than him. Intrinsic within this text is as the women of old have done, as women of God have done historically, put your hope in God. Okay? How you're defined, where your strength comes from, where your purpose comes from, you put your hope in in God. And then there's an appeal in this text to make sure that you don't put it in one of two places that women have a tendency to put their hope. Number one, external beauty. Did you hear it in the text? He's not saying don't braid your hair. I mean, this text isn't going, oh, braid your hair, hooker. All right. That's not happening in this text. You, You miss the point where you make this text read that way. All right. That's not what happened. He said, don't Put your hope in external beauty and don't be defined by an external sensuality. Don't do that. It's an appeal to modesty and it's an appeal to the development of the mind and the soul of a woman. All right? That's the appeal. Don't, and listen, this is a problem in Dallas. It is. We are known throughout. Listen, I've lived a lot of places. I travel all the time. We are known for beautiful women. There aren't any mountains to climb. There isn't an ocean to play in. So we have made external beauty some sort of sport. From the clothes we wear, all right, to just do, just do a simple Google search on how many gyms we have in Dallas-Fort Worth compared to, say, Chicago, Manhattan, those places. We put, there are malls you can go to in this city where you will see the same woman over and over and over again as if she was cloned. Am I a liar? I'm not a liar. $12.4 billion spent on cosmetics alone last year. Not on having anything sucked out, no shots to the face, no surgical enhancements, no augmentations, just cosmetics, $12.4 billion. You think there's an immense amount of pressure on you to be pretty? course there is. Now, like we said last week, there's no, there's no sacred secular divide. I'm not saying there's anything intrinsically wrong with nice clothes or looking nice, having a gym membership. It'd be foolish to say that. What I'm saying is women don't be defined by them and don't put your hope in them. Um, listen to this. This is the, this is the woman that the Lord uh, loves. Not only is the Lord love, but apparently everyone does. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 31, 25 20 through 28 and 30. Listen, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. Listen, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs. 
She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also calls her blessed and praises her in the streets. For charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. So the scripture says, no, 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 don't find your hope. Don't find your purpose. Don't find meaning from external beauty. Cultivate your soul. Cultivate your mind. This woman, she opens up her mouth and wisdom falls off. When she speaks, she speaks as one who is what? She doesn't respond. Oh my God, really? That's not how she, I'm going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? Um, She speaks with wisdom. She is intelligent. Intelligence doesn't just happen. This is a woman who has spent time cultivating her soul, cultivating her mind, and her husband and children sing her praises. And they don't talk of her external beauty, do they? No. Why? Because beauty's vain. Charm is deceitful. She has depth. She has depth. She has not been defined. She has not gotten by on. She has not let her value been caught up in fleeting physical beauty. The other thing I want you to notice about this text is how self-assured this woman is because of the cultivation of her soul. Because when she opens up her mouth, she speaks in not only wisdom, but in kindness, which means... She feels no need to, with her tongue, tear down other women who she views as a threat to her. So all the cattiness just kind of disappears. The cattiness disappears because she doesn't need to prove that she's better than anybody else and she's not threatened by other people's talents or beauties because she's cultivated her soul and not just her external beauty. So the scriptures here say, put your hope in the Lord and not in external beauty. Now, the second one intrinsic within this text is put your hope in God, not just external beauty, and put your hope in God, not a man. Okay, um, so years ago, my wife picks the movies. I'll tell you why here in a little while. I lucked out. She likes to see people get killed, and so we get to go to cool movies. But um, this time in particular, she wanted to go see Jerry Maguire. And so I got in the car, and we go and see. I, don't, I try to avoid Tom Cruise movies. And um, um, we go, and, and we watch Jerry Maguire, and... There's a scene where Renee Zellweger and him are in, uh, Tom Cruise are in the um, elevator and this man and woman come in and they're kind of all over each other and you know, they're kind of just barely holding pinkies and this couple's like basically making out in the elevator and then he backs up and he's deaf. We find out he's deaf and he signs something to the girl and then she kisses him and Renee was like, ah. Oh. And, and then she tells Tom, he just said, you complete me. Uh. And, and then if we fast forward to the end of the movie, what happens is, um, uh, Tom Cruise runs into this living room where there are all these really bitter, angry women. And, and he throws down his bags and, and he says, he, he says they, they, I'm good in the living room. They, they always used to send me into the living room. I could, I could go into the living room and I could, and I could close the deal. And, and so, okay, let, let's just do this. Tonight was a very big night for our little experiment. Tonight was a very big night for our little company, but it wasn't nearly as good as it could have been. It wasn't nearly what it could have been because you weren't there. You 
complete me. And, and Renee did what? She was like, shut up, shut up. You had me at hello. And everybody's just like, oh, gosh, this is so sweet. Everybody but me in the theater. And I was like, that idea, look at me, that idea is a steaming pile of garbage that has woman after woman after woman on a search for the unicorn. The Oompa Loompa snipe hunting. Yeah. Can I, I'll be very honest, and I said this on the Saturday night service, literally someone gasped when I said it. Can I be really just straight with you? My wife, Lauren, she's just a girl. And I could be married to another woman and be happy. Do you know how I know she's the one for me? Because I'm married to her. That's how I know. If I was married to someone else, they would be for me. See, in this idiot ideology that we've created with our movies and with our, like if one person marries the wrong person, doesn't that jack it up for everybody? Because that means, okay, let's just be honest. Come on, you buy in, you go see the stupid movies over and over again. Let's be honest. That means say if Lauren's not my girl and I married another girl, that means I married someone else's perfect one which means now they're forced to marry someone else's perfect one, which now means they're forced to marry someone. And you just do the little map. And what happened is 700 years ago, somebody married the wrong guy. And now we're all in trouble. This is a foolish, ridiculous idea. Look at me. Look right at me. I'm pleading with you on this. I'm just a man and Lauren's just a girl. I'm just a man. Lauren cannot complete me, cannot fulfill me, cannot make sense of my world. And to expect her to is to put pressure on her that she will be unable to carry, will be unable to sustain, and will be unable to bring any of those things into my life, which will create in me an anger towards her for not doing what she was never designed to do, created to do, or able to do to begin with. So when a woman says, this man will complete me, this man will make sense of my world, this man will make me uh, know who I am, this man will heal my wounds, this man, you are putting weight on a man that he will be unable to sustain. It will only be a matter of time before he develops hobbies to get out from under that expectation. He cannot carry it. Put your hope in God, not men. We're sinners. Like you get that? We're sinners, which means sometimes on accident and sometimes God help us on purpose, we're going to fail you and wound you. Don't ask us to be more than we were designed to be. We will fail you. Put your hope in God, not in external beauty and not in men. Now, From there, he gets into, okay, since you put your hope in God, all right, not in external beauty and not in men, now be subject to the man that you have. Now, he doesn't just leave this idea of submission and subjection loose in the wind for some backwoods fundamentalist to make women second-class citizens. He clearly defines what it means and what it looks like for a woman to be in subjection to her husband. Not men, 
to her husband. He has three very clean ideas here. Number one, the idea of respect. What does it look like for a wife to be in submission to her husband? That the wife would respect her husband. Now, listen to this. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome, fretful woman. It is better for your husband to die in the desert than to live with you if you're a quarrelsome, fretful woman. If you constantly belittle and emasculate him, God says it's better that he would die in the desert. Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish son is ruined to his father and a quarreling wife is like a continual dripping of rain. If I could pull it into 09, it's better for your husband to be waterboarded (laughs) than to let you berate him and belittle him constantly. One more and I'll wrap up this idea. Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in the house and share it with a quarrelsome woman. In other words, don't berate, belittle, emasculate, and attack your husband. Don't harp on his weaknesses. Don't. Now, listen, some of you right now are like, whatever, Chandler, you know my husband, he's an idiot. Okay, listen, (laughs) listen, I will not take that from you. There's been nothing in my experience trying to disciple men to lead me to believe. Then there's 10 or 15% of men that I have met that are serious about growing in the Lord, serious about following the Lord in their love for, and in how they engage their wives and children. You very well could be married to an immature, self-exalting idiot. I, don't, I won't take that from you. That could very well be true. Two things. One, he was an idiot when you married him. He did not spring that on you last year. <laughs> he was not some beautiful, self-sacrificing knight in shining armor who one day you went, did something, something's changed. So you, and then here's the second thing. And please, I've got to say this. It's going to be hard, but I need you to say it. I need you to hear me say it. It does not change the fact. Him being an idiot does not change the fact that according to the scriptures, God feels sorry for him that he lives with you. and your constant belittling, beratement, and emasculating behavior. Now, let me, I, here's how it happens. What happens is you grow up in a house with a domineering mom who takes a, or a domineering dad who takes advantage for your mom, and when you're eight and nine years old, you go, not me. That will never happen to me. A man will not take advantage of me like that. A man will not hurt me like that. A man will, and you grow bitter, and your husband and A dozen other men pay for your father's sins. Respect your husband simply. That means you take care of you. You grow into obedience to the Lord. You take care of your sin. You take care of your mouth, your heart, your bitterness, your wounds, your, and you grow in the Lord while you pray for him. You respect him. You don't run him down with your mouth. I don't care how big of an idiot he is. You respect him. Number two, the second idea in this text is the idea of purity. So not only is a wife to be respectful to her husband, but she's also to walk in some purity with him. Um, let me read you this because this is such a great proverb. Proverb 31, 10 through 12 says this, an excellent wife who can find her for she is more precious than jewels. Now, ladies, you should pay attention to this because here's what the Bible just said to all men. 
if you find this woman, you latch on to her because she's a rare thing. This is more rare than precious jewels. Anybody ever stumbled onto precious jewels? Anybody like been a walk in a field and was like, oh, Ruby, all right? That, it doesn't happen, does it? So he's saying this is a rare woman. So let's, let's listen to it. An excellent wife who can find her. She is far more precious than jewels. Listen to this. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain for she does him good and will not harm him all the days of his life. She's pure. Here's what, here's what this text is saying. That in her heart and in her mind, she is aware of his strengths and she praises and encourages what he does well. In her heart and in her mind, she knows where he's weak and she encourages and speaks life into where he's weak. She doesn't spend her time fantasizing about what it would look like to be married to someone else who didn't have those weaknesses. And in that safety net of trust, the scriptures say the husband's heart feel safe, and he'll open up and share. You realize that most men have been taught from a very early age to shut it down. So where we feel safe, we share, and where we don't feel safe, we put on the bravado. It's what we do. The scriptures say when a man believes that the heart and mind of his wife is his, he trusts in her. He trusts in her. There's one more idea here. It's an idea that historically has been abused. It's the idea of the gentle and quiet spirit. So historically, this has been abused by saying women just shouldn't speak, right? Uh, have babies, cook me some dinner, shut up. All right, that, that's how it's been abused. Um, the problem with that is, well, the problem with that is the Bible. And that's not what it's teaching, all right? It's teaching instead that the wife's spirit in, in regards to her husband should be gentle and quiet. I'll unpack it like this. Um, I, I'm doing all I can to be the kind of man that God's asked me to be for my family. I fall short all the time. Thank God I've been given a woman who knows how to, like, here's what Lauren will do. I'll be in my study. Maybe it's been a while since we've had a real good conversation about what's going on in my heart, what's going on in hers. And she'll come into my study after we've put the kids down and she'll go, hey, are, are you busy? Okay, what, what does he mean in Colossians 1 when he says, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone? That's a trap, man. I, my wife is smarter than me. She's not actually asking me that. She's not, like sometimes I get her to help me with the Greek. She's smarter than me. She's not asking, see what she's doing? There are times where she'll do this. This is my favorite one. I, I always just kind of giggle. She'll say, uh, man, I've got to do this thing Thursday night. I'm doing the abuse group. Can you, um, can you pray for me? And I'll go, yeah, baby. And she'll go. <laughs> and so then I'll be like, Oh, now, okay, Father, I just pray for, see what she's doing? She's, she's wooing. She's gently leading. Do you see the difference between this and, why do you suck at leading our family spiritually? When are you going to do what Matt is telling you to do? When are you going to grow up and be a man? Do you see the difference? Now, honestly, both of them have at their heart the same desire, the man to engage at a deeper level. One of them gets it, and one of them does not. What you do in that moment is you either emasculate him, all right, um, which means really you're leading, not him, okay? And, and then in the end, you'll get a man who will just go, forget you, woman, and he'll pull back even farther. So this gentle, quiet spirit is not about getting beaten down, just keeping your mouth shut when your husband's an idiot. It's learning how to engage him in such a way that he responds. And that's what submission looks like. 
Um, so there, I know there are some of you in here that are single women. And you're going, okay, Chandler, what does this look like for me? What does this mean for me? Let, me? let me do three things for you. Number one, find women like this and get around them. Find, if you're single, find older, godly women and get around them. Stalk them. <laughs> Show up at their house. Find out what Pilates class they're in and get there. All right? Your mat's right next to their, hey, hi. Me again. All right? You, where, where they are, you are. All right? Uh, and, and then just for the record, I would give them authority. I would give those older godly women who have loved their husband like this authority, which means if they say your boyfriend is a doofus idiot, you break up with them. Okay? Number two, take your own sanctification and spiritual development very, very, very seriously. Number three, and this one will be really hard, so I'm sorry, but I don't know how. I would take some time of solitude and silence, and I would get to the bottom of how you really view men. I would look at the relationships you've been in, what type of man you're attracted to, how those relationships end, what you, and I would begin to look for patterns of dysfunction and an expectation put on a man that only Jesus Christ, your Savior, can fill. And then I'd get my tail into recovery. I hope that this first session encouraged your hearts. Next week, Matt will address men, and he'll talk about what it looks like to be a godly man. So make sure and tune in to next week's broadcast. This program has been brought to you by DSR, a technology company that has been investing in Bartles of a Families for over 35 years. DSR, we deliver technology.